Hello and welcome into Full Screen Podcast. I'm your host, Kira Astor, and joining me today, as always, is my co-host, hard at work on the Narkina 5 Imperial Prison Complex, building the Death Star. It's Raven Ebert! Raven, one way out. One way out! <laughs> How we doing? Uh, abolish prisons is my take. Um, this is very offensive, but I guess there isn't really a good employment option in the Star Wars universe. I would probably be a spice miner because I love drugs. So I would be running spice and probably because it's the thing that minorities end up doing. <laughs> Poor Oscar Isaac. This is so realize. much I I this is so much more powerful than you realize. <laughs> Cuz Andor gets arrested as a minority in in uh, Cassian Andor in the show Andor and it's a, it's a whole thing. And it turns out, guys, spoilers. They're building the Death Star in prison. Yeah, I mean, shout out to Riz Ahmed, who was uh, the beacon of South Asian representation in Star Wars first. I think um, he's been followed by uh, Kumail Nanjiani and Indra Verma. So uh, really love all the South Asians working for the Empire. Really cool. <laughs> really cool, guys. Thanks. This is not what we wanted when we said more diversity. No, I would actually love to see Cal Penn under like 20 pounds of makeup playing like a Bib Fortuna character. Like him doing his like ladies man Indian uncle accent under like 20 pounds of makeup with like gross teeth, blue skin and various appendages and tentacles coming out of his head. This is the kind of representation I want. I want weird yes. nonsense. I'm here for it. Carl, are you listening? <laughs> <laughs> so before we go into why we're talking about Star Wars, what's today's topic, let's actually... I wanted to bring up one thing, which is the SAGs are this Sunday. Screen Actors Guild Awards are this Sunday. And they are on Netflix, Raven. They're going to be streaming. It happened. Awards are on streaming. I think I brought this up before where YouTube Live is such a convenient way to make sure that people have access to what you're you know, putting out there, but also gives a layer of accessibility and interaction that a lot of other people don't get from just watching TV. I think that, you know, award stream posts on Twitter have finally made the people who are running this program from like a television perspective realize that, oh, it's like a community gathering thing. People don't have Oscar parties the same way that they used to anymore. So maybe we can bring that feeling online and we'll see how it does. But it's going to be relatively inexpensive, doesn't take a lot of money and there's also more room for people like making memes and secondary content out of it. So I think it's smart considering it's that this smart. is the Screen Actors Guild Award, which is, of course, the actors union um, yeah. in the industry. So all of the awards and nominations are for performances only across both television and film. This has only got actors in it. So you basically know everybody Who's going to be? It's only got um, hot people, so you don't have to look at the people, the little pale writers <laughs> behind the scenes. Yeah, um, yeah, like 
like Kira said, you don't have to look at the rat-faced, weaselly fucks who make the movies. You just have to look at the beautiful Actually people. Actually do all the work, yeah. Yeah, in front of it. So, yeah, I think it'll be good. Uh, also, I think that more industries need unions, and that's all I have to say about that. Hell yeah, baby. Hell yeah. Truth to power. I will be very interested to see what the streaming numbers are, what the viewership is, what the just the reach is across social media. I have a good feeling about this. Not oh, a bad I... feeling, as opposed to... <laughs> Except for Harrison Ford, who will be asked to present and will show up with 100% of the enthusiasm and charm that Harrison Ford is associated with. Just wonderful. Yellowstone star Harrison Ford, or Yellowstone universe, we should say. So yeah, SAGs, we're looking forward to it. Um, Before we get to today's topic, let's quickly talk about how the listeners can reach out to us on social media. Yeah, we're probably going to be doing the SAG Watch on YouTube, and you can catch us on our YouTube channel, Full Screen Podcast. You can also hit us up on our Twitter and Instagram at fullscreen underscore pod. Feel free to leave us recommendations, comments, concerns. Uh, check in on our thoughts about SAG. Check in about the insane weather patterns we've been experiencing. Whatever you want to do. Actually, you can also reach out to us via email if you so desire. It's fullyscreened at gmail.com if you have scams that you'd like us to forward to other people, Nigerian princes, pyramid schemes. We're here for everything. A throwback, baby. Gen Z doesn't know what that's about. Yeah, and it's fine. It's really just a source of comedy, but it used to be even easier to scam people online. We didn't have to go through like AI voice generators and masking cell phones and stuff like that. It was... It was a breeze. Yeah. Alarming. All right. So today's topic, finally, we are looking at the modern universe of Star Wars today, hence all the Star Wars talk. We are going to use what's been built over at Disney Plus by an outstanding, phenomenal creative mind, Dave Filoni, to apply those lessons into our world of tech and product, specifically the importance of product roadmaps. What are they? What informs them? What are the building blocks? How are they fleshed out? Who decides if and when to pivot? Who decides why we should follow through on a roadmap? All that good stuff. Undeniable foundation of our day-to-day, as as Raven will attest. And now we are going to explore that using Star Wars as a case study. So say goodbye to your love and happiness and attachments in life. We're off to the Jedi Temple. (laughs) <laughs> to find out the whack metrics Yoda and Mace Windu were using to measure the force. So get in, loser. We're going to Coruscant. Welcome to the Multiplying Genre, where today we're going to be looking at the evolution, 
of the Star Wars product offerings through the lens of the work of Dave Filoni, who I essentially believe is playing the role of Chief Product Officer. I know you Hell yes! <laughs> so let's dive into some of the background around Dave Filoni. So who is Dave Filoni? So let's look at his history and his previous work prior to Lucasfilm. So he comes from the world of animation. He's worked in the animation department of some pretty big names in animated television. So he's done King of the Hill, which is more adult-oriented, and Kim Possible. And he was also a director for season one of Avatar The Last Airbender. So he did some episodes of book one, Water. So he has a lot of clout in animation and in storytelling and visual presentation. So he's done a couple of really complex episodes that you know, blend action as well as the storytelling. You know, people love the action in Avatar. It was so beautifully framed. And honestly, I think it works best in the medium of animation because I just don't think live action can capture it. But he did uh, one of my favorite episodes, The Northern Air Temple. And he really worked with the writers and everybody on that show to create a beautiful combination of very serious topics but it was heartfelt and genuine and gentle and it was aimed for children but you could still enjoy it as an adult because it didn't try to minimize the more mature themes of what was being discussed I mean the show is rooted <laughs> it kicks off with like genocide so this is kind of a difficult topic i'm to so surprised i so i as you know watched the show recently during the pandemic and mm -hmm. i could not love it more i just get so surprised that this was a show for children you know mm -hmm. like the themes are so mature and especially the episode you mentioned like one of my favorites because it's one of those in between i mean i don't want to call it filler but it is one of those in between episodes in between the action but you're mm -hmm. so enchanted by what you're seeing in this episode and we're not going to give away really the plot of this episode but i he also did the siege of the north i believe that mm -hmm. was one of the war and episodes and that's what i said is that he has a huge strength of being able to create action that is easy to follow without being visually overwhelming or feeling like sludge. So he was at Nickelodeon at the time. And in 2005, he moved to Lucasville Animation to essentially build that studio and get the projects off the ground. At this time, Lucasfilm Animation and the Star Wars property had not been bought by Disney. So they were just trying to figure out a lot of things independently. And he came in, I think, from the sounds of it, like he was personally recruited by George Lucas. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And so the story is that when he got the call, he thought it was a joke because his friends, he was a very he, big Star Wars nerd. He would like there are stories of him like dressing up as his like favorite Jedi, Plo Koon. Uh, in fact, fun fact, he the characters he plays now, for example, in The Mandalorian as the pilot, Wolf Trapper, it, it's all a reference to Jedi General Plo Koon's army, the Wolf Pack. But he thought it was a joke. Like, there's no way George Lucas is calling him for for to for a meet and greet and for an interview. And I think that story is adorable. 
Yeah, he was a very sincere nerd about Star Wars. I think he attended the midnight premieres of all three of the prequel movies. It bode well for Lucasfilm Animation to get somebody who was, you know, deeply involved not only with the world of animation, but clearly also cared very much about Star Wars. And he's done several projects with Lucasfilm Animation. He has, uh, of course, he did the Star Wars, the Clone Wars, both the movie and the series. The movie was set between prequels two and three and was released to theaters and meant to serve as a pilot to the Clone Wars series itself. This is... (laughs) One of the most interesting and complex <laughs> situations that I have ever seen because the Clone Wars movie, as I understand, I've never seen either one of these properties. But while the Clone Wars series is beloved, the Clone Wars movie is uh, considered an unapologetic piece of shit. And that's very <laughs> surprising to me, considering that a lot of the same creative team came on. But I guess what that says to me is that he's someone who clearly learns from his mistakes and works harder to address and resolve criticism that is presented to him, specifically when it comes to writing characters. So it's quite a tight 18% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I have, as you know, many thoughts on the movie itself, but I do think it was supposed to be an experiment and then kind of early feedback from the audience into what a series could be. Because we do see this was the introduction of the of Anakin's Padawan Ahsoka for the first time for the audience. Mm-hmm. So the feedback is also related to that, and she's in this like annoying tube top and just going master. The story and itself wasn't very interesting in this. In this, movie. all of this is explained and explored a lot more within the Clone Wars series, which he. Uh, I believe just concluded pretty recently. It ran from 2008 and ended in 2020. Of course, there isn't a, a new season for every year in between. The production was kind of chopped up a little bit because of his commitments to other projects, but also the amount of work required for the animation definitely got a lot more involved because of the quality of the animation being produced. As I understand it, it's not traditional hand-drawn animation anymore. It's entirely computer artists working with, you know, preset designs that are coming in. So it looks a lot more realistic. There's, you know, a really good 3D mapping and the textures and the movement and all the fun stuff that people like to see about the Jedi fights, like the lightsabers and the flipping around and the action choreography that takes money and time. And Disney and Lucasfilm animation obviously gave him that, that ground. So he created a couple of more series after this, he co-created star Wars rebels that ran from 2014 to 18. And he created Star Wars Resistance from 2018 to 2020. And this was around the time that he got promoted to an executive producer and creative director in Lucasfilm, like the broader Lucasfilm studio, not just the animation side. So he started moving into live action production. So he's been involved with The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett. And has brought a lot of his knowledge about the Star Wars lore and mythos and the series 
I believe he's like a walking, you know, series Bible at this point, because he's probably created just as many characters, if not more, as George Original Lucas. canon characters characters yes and it's there's a an interview by the way John Favreau and Dave Filoni's friendship is precious and there's (laughs) an interview where John is saying something like oh we wanted to introduce this like new character into this new episode and Dave is like shaking his head like no 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 there's no way this character can be in this time frame this wouldn't make sense so I feel yeah everyone relies on him to correct and course correct Um, we'll talk about the live action productions a, a lot more later on when we go into the roadmaps but yeah, yeah i think that's what what you mentioned about dave filoni is that he really thinks about things from that very ground level where you know john favreau can have the luxury of looking at things from a visual and cinematic perspective of like oh what looks good for storytelling and he needs somebody to come in and ground him on the very dense lore of the Star Wars universe. And I think Dave Filoni serves that role for really any creative coming into Star Wars. He doesn't assume sole creative uh, control. He understands that there are some things he can't do and some things he does very well, and he's not afraid to delegate. I really respect that (laughs) as someone in product. It helps to just make things smoother but also faster and you get a better product at the end if you understand that oh i have certain limitations around this i want somebody else to come in so he also you know took like created a new canon for star wars for like a new generation to come in i you know the medium of animation is very cool to me i find it just as beautiful as live action. Sometimes I don't get the appeal of turning animated things into live action. I think you lose a lot from that perspective, but he brought in an entire new generation for this and created rich characters and rich stories that he took time to develop. And it's been very cool to see that all of his content has not been about only the Jedi. Obviously, you have the Clone Wars that was very, very focused on specifically the characters of Anakin Skywalker and um, his Padawan. But of course, the other person who is central to that story was Obi-Wan Kenobi. So it's, you know, very Jedi focused there. But the Rebels in Resistance was kind of showing the other side, like scrappy kids without magical powers and cool light swords. So and I think his background in animation again he's created such visually distinct characters that star wars is finally beginning to feel like the science fiction that it's always claimed to be and i think that that concept has come in a little bit more with dave filoni like he has fun coming up with concepts for alien characters because this is of course set in space he's he's also focusing on the star part of star wars and not just the wars part yeah so i like that he often hand draws a lot of or he used to when he was active on instagram a lot of like alien figures and post them on his instagram with like a cute message yeah Um, and i really appreciated that like window into because like he's still hands-on as a cpo you know Um, yeah I I find, you know, that contrast between him and George Lucas. The first thing is, of course, he actually plans things out. He has a clear vision of the end point. So you don't end up with, 
you know, Luke and Leia tonguing each other right before there's a revelation that they are related entirely by blood. Same. Are you are you saying there's a roadmap, Raven? (laughs) I'm saying there's a roadmap that he has a clear destination in mind for each of his projects, so you don't end up with that. I also think that it helps to have somebody who creates children's content coming in to create something that's for everybody because when George Lucas tried it we got Jar Jar Binks and I think a lot of people just jumped off bridges or walked into the ocean after they heard Jar Jar Binks so I I don't see that repeating I think he's been extremely successful with of course you know baby Yoda Grogu coming in and melting everyone's hearts collectively he's really good with that design of knowing the balance when to strike a balance between cute and funny without going too much into one direction i mean i told you already i love the nick nolte character from the mandalorian i have spoken he's he's terrific best performance nick nolte has given in his life fight me that that sense of like having an idea and constantly iterating like building on what's already existed and fleshing things out a bit more and rounding everything up I would say for me, and I'm not part of the Star Wars fandom, that's why he has my respect. But because you're obviously more ingrained in the Star Wars fandom, I would love to know if what I'm saying connects with you, if you really feel like that is what the, the fandom also loves about him. That's that's one of the things as well, I think, Raven. First of all, great summary of, of how he compares to George and, and his strengths. But I think what's really earned the fandom's respect is like how he's brought all of these eras together and all of these like different types of fans together so if you look at his animated history he's done resistance rebels clone wars and he's going in between the trilogies of like what happened in between and after and before these trilogies to really fill in these characters and flesh out the universe, what you don't maybe get, what lacked in the movies, you course correct in these series and in these, in these in between shows. Yeah, and he's 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 the father of Ahsoka Tano, like one of the most beloved characters in in this universe. Beautiful, complex, incredible character, uh, alien, female, something we hadn't seen before, you know. And, yeah. and that's what he, he does. added. He, he really he added like, layers to a character that George Lucas created as having a crop top and being annoying, which was what he probably thought of women in 2000s. Honestly, so yeah. uh, I, I truly appreciate that. And it's a fascinating thing to see from as a writer, you want to understand when people don't connect with your character, what you can do to change that. And the evolution of Ahsoka Tano as a character is a case study in improving as a writer. So I really love that. But if I had to sum it all up, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, Dave Filoni is not the type of guy who would have ever written the words, somehow Palpatine returned. Boom. Let's get to product roadmaps. So I understand not all of our audiences are going to be product or tech adjacent. So let's do a quick one pager, Raven. Product roadmaps are simply, honestly, the visual representation of your product's releases, right? Immediate and what's next. 
and give a sense of the short-term and long-term goals. And many organizations, it's very different on how you choose to maintain the roadmaps, update the roadmaps. There's different styles, different goals, different ideas, different tools. You can keep it simple. You can make it as complex as you want. But commonly, a few things. So number one, who are the audience of your roadmaps? So your stakeholders and your business partners. So anyone who has a stake in what you're building, your executives and your leaders, your development teams like your designers and engineers. MCU clearly has not been sharing their roadmap. Uh, yeah, I would say that they they were the pioneers of this. And I think they brought that culture into Star Wars because Star Wars has become a lot more streamlined. And they're solving multiple problems with a roadmap. For one, they obviously know like what to make before the other, how much time, resources, and effort has to be allocated into each part of the different projects that they're working on. But they're also telling their audience what to look forward to, you know, keep Star Wars as a brand in the collective memories of, you know, audiences who tend to get overwhelmed with a lot of stuff. So it's giving you like a a lineup of what's coming, what to watch in which order and what to expect within it. So you can, for example, understand that certain things may be focused on the Jedi side. Some things may be focused on the rebel side. And yeah. And that's like, we're going to tie as much as we can with all the roadmap talk, everything to Star Wars. And as you alluded to some of this already, you're building a roadmap because you have goals in mind, right? And the general goal is give a concise, meaningful context on your features, on your build, what's coming, why, what, how, all of that stuff provides a snapshot of scope. So, you know, like scope is very important because scope creep, as we know, is a thing. Uh, you need to really define your scope on like what this feature and launch is going to be. In yeah. in a Star Wars context, I would say you you define your goals to be like, okay, this is the context. We're going to put out two movies and four television shows. What plot points do we want to cover between each movie and each television show? What comes first? There's been, for example, a lot of discussion around whether the Obi-Wan Kenobi television show should have been a movie or not because... Watch it. Okay, yes, I agree with that. (laughs) No, from a product perspective, you have to think about that because it's like what you talked about, the scope. If you're stretching things out to be longer than they need to be, or you're condensing too much into something, properly defining like where something ends and something begins in terms of what story and material and lore that you want to cover within each item, that's extremely important for something like Star Wars, particularly noticeable in Star Wars because it comes with so much backlog as we would say there's so much Mm -hmm. dense lore and so much information that you have to rely upon the other person who's consuming the product to know so why one thing is prioritized over over another given that rich backlog yes it's all product roadmap is your entry point into all of that so with that goal three again lines up Everything that you're building, everything that you put on the roadmap ideally lines up to a strategic initiative that your company has. So you can also like visually see whatever's happening is actually important to this particular objective or this particular North Star. So for example, again, tying it back to Star Wars, we could say a Disney objective, of course, is to expand new revenue streams. 
So key results. So I, I'm now talking about OKRs, which is another word Raven and I use on an everyday basis. So objective and key results. And your objective could be expand new revenue streams. Your key result tied to this objective could be, let's say, increase toy sales by 4% in Latin markets, in Latin American markets. And then what are the features and what are the launches? What are the deliverables that tie into this key result and this objective? Could be, let's say, feature one, introduction of a new droid in a Disney Plus series with an adorable quirk. Perhaps an emo droid, perhaps a lovable stutter. Feature two could be create a seamless mobile-first ticketing experience for CCXP Brazil 2023, so Comic-Con in Brazil, prominently featuring Hasbro toy art of said new droid, B2 Emo from, from Endor. Feature Endor three, more sexy Latin American people in oh my the Star Wars universe. Doing something, doing nothing, I don't care. Just be on screen be sexy i'm talking about more close-up shots of diego luna crying hot people bring bring in audiences feature three hot people that's it it's alarming how many hot people are in andor and uh i'm here for it and uh, goal four most importantly, roadmaps accomplish a very basic function, right? Timelines and statuses need to be communicated, need to be need to be shown, verbalized alongside the progress and estimated completion dates. So it's literally a calendar in some ways, your roadmap at the end of the day. Yeah, you have a production calendar. You have to schedule and accommodate for people who are coming in to perform, people who are coming in to do set work, decoration, set up the volume for visual effects and stuff. Then you have people working visual effects, hopefully with enough time to get food and sleep and see their family and all the other basic human needs that a VFX artist has. And of course, um, even keep room for reshoots, right? Because sometimes things don't turn out the way that you want to. You want to go back in. It's like the QA process, right? You do a quality analysis. You see it. You go back in. You identify bugs and you squash them for the release. 100%. And also support the physical and mental health of your developers. Like, what are you doing? Guys, looking at you, Kevin Feige. Added and then goal five added bonus of a roadmap, which is like the unsaid function it accomplishes is it builds alignment, real time consensus and clout for for your product and enables the ease of communicating updates and changes with different and vast audiences. So you're not going to be writing like a hundred emails all day because one tiny thing changed and you roadmap accomplishes a lot of that. And then it serves as a tool for kind of rallying everyone, all different kinds of people, internal and external around one North Star. And this is essential. Many products and events and sagas and stories fizzle, fizzle, fizzle because they lost the North Star. I am, um, I, I hate to be oh, taking so many What shots. are you unsubtly <laughs> hinting at over here? <laughs> what are you pretending but, to walk on eggshells for over here? <laughs> I, it's, it's, we are recording this and Quantumania, Ant-Man Quantumania has just come out and it's uh, not doing well, y'all. And uh, one of the chief criticisms is it's just, has it lost the plot, you know? 
So it, it does make you think, like, is there a roadmap for the MCU? Is there a meaningful roadmap moving forward? Yeah, I, I think the, the sense that things were moving toward a, a focal point was a lot more clear in the previous movies. But I also, if you go back and can compare it to, like, what they called Marvel Phase 1, th- that sense wasn't there either. I think it's just a reset from the status quo so yeah things may feel unfocused there wasn't that sense before from star wars it's always been a fly by the seat of your pants franchise that's no the the george lucas marker (laughs) that uh kind of has embellished the entire franchise and i think it's moving towards something more streamlined and that can change the tone of what you see in Star Wars. So it may be confusing for a lot of fans who were like, hey, why does this all feel like there's a larger story arc going on there? Because that sense of storytelling has not been seen before. Yeah. And like one of the things that the roadmap accomplishes also, I think, is once you put everything in one place, something really powerful starts to happen. This like visual representation you have everything in one place and you as the SME, the subject matter expert, have it and stare at it and update it and it's there for you to look at and your business folks and whoever your your audience is, is looking at it. An informed, purposeful, significant plan start to emerge from this. So if you've built a one-year roadmap or six-month roadmap and you're looking at it and you're measuring success of your project that just came out or your product that just released you are able to get so much more information to then build a 10-year roadmap, you know? Of course, that will change, but you can have a sense, a very informed, purposeful sense from from this exercise. So roadmap creation, roadmap reviews are very important. Yeah, it's like the the intention of the IKEA instructions. You know that's what it's supposed to look like. Whether it actually ends up looking like that or not is, I guess, the effectiveness of uh, your ability to deliver as a product manager as well as how well you work with your development team and your designers. Execution. Yeah. So if you really wanted to, for example, make a Han Solo movie and didn't have any clarity on whether... It's going to hurt. This is going to hurt. (laughs) It was going to be a funny movie or a serious movie and and just end up with like a, a pile of goo that resembles neither. It's not necessarily the fault of everyone involved if there's no clear direction. And that comes from... Your stakeholders, your executives, your your Kathleen Kennedys, right? You can't blame Paul, poor Alden Ehrenreich for what happened in Solo. Um, shout out to you, Alden. Alden. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you're a good egg from what I know. So I'm sorry yeah. you got thrown under the bus like this. But that's just a really good contrast of where that that's what Star Wars used to be kind of before Dave Filoni got involved with the broader production. Yeah, and you could see like the real time, one of the things about roadmaps as we've been hinting at is like, it changes based on the feedback, you know, and we're already seeing like things are not static with what is Star Wars now. There's like projects that have been put on hold, projects that are getting greenlit because of of the real-time feedback that's coming. And I I love to see it. It's very very agile. It's very product. It's very tech mindset that is is coming into Hollywood. And uh, we love to see it. (laughs) Again, I 
we'll tie it back to Star Wars and I know Raymond disagrees with me. But looking at the example of Sheev Palpy, for example, no. Palpatine. <laughs> no, no, no. That man is the personification of, oh, oops, I failed my way to the top of the Galactic Empire. He didn't have a plan. He, are you saying he didn't have the objective of galactic tyranny? Listen, he iterated on his apprentices three times. He knew what he was doing. That from was Maul. because he's a terrible Sith Lord. He didn't iterate. They died. Hold up. That's that not what iteration. <laughs> no, he doesn't have multitudes. He has multi-dudes. He literally just got a new <laughs> apprentice every time because they got cut in half and robot legged and by the way he just didn't even bother to check if, yeah. if he was alive or not it's like you need to be you know full top and bottom half is required he didn't plan for Anakin to have a wife he was like I'm gonna pick the most annoying kid on Tatooine <laughs> with zero redeeming qualities oops not only did he get a hot wife she's also the thorn in my side for all of my political stuff that I'm trying to do she's always being the one being like guys wait hold up do we need a war he didn't see that shit coming he, he, you show midichlorian Jesus some respect Raven he could have been found out as a Sith Lord if someone had done a midichlorian test on him no one did it it is because the Jedi is dumb they're dumb as fuck and he I will agree with that. I will agree with that. Like he didn't have good opponents yeah. to to really fight him on the roadmap that I still yeah. maintain and that he was building. I actually think that you and I can come to an agreement and say that the Jedi Order and the Jedi Council lacked a roadmap. They had no strategy. Meditate around. on this, we must. No focus, no plan. Get a roadmap, you must. <laughs> yes. I had a whole thing here just about the Agile slash Sith doctrine, but I'm just going to skip forward to saying that Palpatine never prioritized tech debt on his roadmap, and this is why his chief technology officer, Vader, turned against him in the end. No, and what are you it. talking about? Thank, he, you. Thank you, Lord Vader. He took care of tech debt. Remember when Anakin just killed the um, Nemoidians? Where they showed up and they're like, oh, that yeah. one time is not enough, man. Oh, yeah. That was that's how you awful. resolve tech deck. You just, you know, delete the backlog. That's <laughs> that's one way. Oh, we have 15 bugs. No, we don't. Closed. Won't do. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so picking up from Raven's great summary of Dave Filoni's early career at Lucasfilm, we cut to 2017. So John Favreau, really in some ways responsible for the kickoff of the MCU, was working on The Lion King at the time, which we, we won't go into, the live-action Lion King. When he, this was 2017, so he pitched the idea of a Mandalorian-focused series to Kathleen Kennedy, the president of Lucasfilm, good old Kathy Kennedy, and lo and behold, Dave Filoni has apparently done the same thing around this time, and she reconnected them both with each other, and I say reconnected because... Never forget, Don Favreau and Dave Filoni actually became good friends at Skywalker Ranch early on. 
during when he when Favreau was making Iron Man and Dave was was making Clone Wars, the they became such good friends that John Favreau voiced a character, a Mandalorian character by the name of Pre Visla, which <laughs> film nerdery. <laughs> oh, like Pre Visual. <laughs> Oh, that's cute. Visla clan is a huge name in the Mandalorian culture, if people are familiar with the canon. And Jon Favreau continues to voice another character in the Mandalorian now, Paz Visla, also of the same clan. So Jon Favreau clearly loves the Mandalorians. And this is what we call in corporate America synergy both of these people friends fans of star wars individually kind of pitched a mandalorian focused series and both of them came together for it so john's thirst for doing something inspired by the lone gunslinger wild west theme and in space during the scum and villainy sort of period after episode six Combined with Dave Filoni's, as Raven mentioned earlier, encyclopedic knowledge of the of the Star Wars universe, really aligned perfectly. And remember, this is when the sequel trilogy is going strong. And we are not going to, we're going to try to minimize our thoughts about sequel ST today. But the toxicity that emerged during that time, the the like they can they can rally. It was very, they, they didn't care about the product. They didn't care about the fans. And the leaders weren't protecting their teams enough, the actors enough, the cast and crew enough. And it just became, I think that was a time, that was a poisonous time. And it felt like this beautiful world was really falling apart. And during this time, like from the ashes, something good was emerging, something separate, something totally different. Yeah. I'm going to quote Avatar again from The Legend of Korra, but, you know, Aang says to Korra, when you are at your lowest point, you're open to the greatest change. And I think that's really what happened here because they lost that clout of Star Wars is always going to make money. They saw diminishing returns with Solo and the Rise of Skywalker. And so they realized maybe it's time to take a different approach. So... Uh, and that what a beautiful line i just makes me want to rewatch the last airbender amazing wait the uh, movie so- the Shyamalan movie oh no, hell no, no. Sorry. <laughs> you meant avatar the last airbender i said i said the last airbender because there's another avatar right now that's big yes yes no 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 not the Shyamalan one <laughs> So skip to 2019, and I remember the ads for the Disney Plus launch being everywhere. I remember seeing the posters on the subway, which is how I get all of my information. The subway ads, and I know what's topical, what's trendy in New York City. And the Mandalorian posters were everywhere as well. And they were really hyping up this launch of the show, of the of the platform, of Disney Plus. And... Then this was, I believe, October, November in 2019. And the show's first season ended around around uh, late December in that year, 2019. And the general success of the show, the cultural impact with my baby Jedi, the light of my life, apple of my eyes, <laughs> Grogu, Disney Plus became a very, very valued property early on in the business. And the execs, the audience took notice, the execs took notice. And this then has spun a frankly unprecedented slate of stories, all sort of 
spurred by the momentum Dave Filoni has granted the company. So some of these, so I'm just going to go through the roadmap of the stories that we have now because of really the success of the, of the season one of Mandalorian, the, the, what, you know, I am going to call the Mandoverse really. Most of these are Mandoverse. Some of these are just spurred by the momentum of Mandalorian becoming a success. So January 2020, this was already actually in the works because of the clout that Dave Filoni had developed within Disney. So January 2020 is when we get the season seven of The Clone Wars, which was canceled or or put on ice before uh, it ended with season six a few years before. So season seven, the highly anticipated season seven aired in January 2020. And then we go to October 2020 with Mandalorian season two, all on Disney Plus. May 2021, we have The Bad Batch, which is a, a spinoff of the Clone Wars, focusing on Clone Force 99, the defected clones, actually mid-season two of The Bad Batch right now. So that's May 2021. In September 2021, we get one of my favorite things that Star Wars has ever done, which is visions star wars visions so they these are sort of non-canon stories six or seven episodes i believe that are done by a japanese anime studio different different anime studios and they hell yeah baby parts of the galaxy and it's such a beautiful look at different types of people around the galaxy through a visual medium like just very anime very true to the styles of anime Mm -hmm. and just it's cool to see animation. I love it different styles. It was so beautiful. So. It was yeah. gorgeous, stunning, and I know f- friends and so many people who are not fans of of Star Wars at all, and they loved this show. So you don't have to. It's, it's another entry point for you into the story. I think this might be the boldest and the the most experimental and greatest thing they might have done actually like this is gonna like we have we're getting season two i'm, I'm gonna talk about it shortly of, of vision so it's it's actually quietly a really good move on their part and then december tw- so that was september 2021 we get in december 2021 the first spinoff of the mandoverse the book of boba fett and then we get in may 2020 so literally every what three four months we're getting a show yeah so in may 2022 we get Obi-Wan Kenobi, what I'd been waiting my entire life for. Then we get in September, we get Andor, a huge, huge success for this universe. Again, one of those things that draws you into the universe and you don't have to be a fan of of the story and helmed I, by... I just want to say it's helmed by Tony Gilroy, who thankfully has realized that stormtroopers are not cool. And this is really like baby's first guide into is fascism a bad thing? Actually, yes. And I'm happy to see, you know, sort of the quote unquote common man struggles of the Star Wars universe. Yes, you see very few stormtroopers and you see actually people in Nazi like uniforms and you this it becomes very real very fast. It does that job of like, oh, remember, you know, how Alderaan got blowed up in Star Wars? Well, these are the people that live there. Like, these were the people that, you know, this is the consequence of war and of people trying to grab, you know, ultimate power without having to 
answer to anybody else. Nobody is left out of it. You can't ever look back into a conflict between people and say, well, it doesn't involve me, so I'm out. And it's nice he to see in and- Andy Serkis's face. Like oh his actual gosh, face. He was so amazing. <laughs> I just, I just, one way out, baby. Yeah, Diego Luna, like a lot of the cast and crew of Rogue One is back for this show, Cassian Andor. And we get the great Fiona Shaw as Andor's mom, just a powerful rebel fighter. And we get Adria Arjona, incredible performances. We get Denise Goff, Denise Go. All of these people just give it their all because Tony Gilroy is their leader on this project. And honestly, like, I think it's episode two, maybe, that you actually see some space and you forget that you're in Star Wars until episode two. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is actually a Star Wars show. Then we get in October 2022, a month later, we get Tales of the Jedi. So these are these were six episodes focused on the arc of what Ahsoka was like as a baby and Dooku's young days, which was again, again, that's what Dave Filoni does best, bringing you into into empathizing with why people made certain choices, what failed them in society to be able to draw them into Dooku was evil because he was played by Christopher Lee who was Saruman and Dracula I mean that's the canonical reason (laughs) that is the the reason it was Christopher freaking Lee I mean if they're going to that style of, of his arm behind his back as he fights with like I think it's like I forget what style of Jedi fighting it's called form two form one Guys, correct me. I have no perfect. idea. As long as they can recapture the swag of the great Christopher Lee, may he rest in peace. The only person I think who actually deserves a knighthood, not just for his performances in movie, but his awesome heavy metal music as well. What a badass! <laughs> he was making heavy metal until his like nineties. Good for him. I, Bad Batch season two, January twenty twenty three, is going on right now, getting rave reviews. Actually, like get, fleshing out a lot more about the Empire and the fascism of the Empire. Yeah, I hope Tim Guerra Morrison is is enjoying these because he's often he's like, oh, I played a very one dimensional Django and now Boba Fett, but now there's so much being fleshed out that I hope he can feel more of a connection to his character now than he did yes he did he brought a lot of his in boba fett what i love to see is like fleshing out of tuscans and not calling them sand people anymore and him bringing a lot of the maori customs to him joining um the tuscans the native people of tatooine so it's lovely to see this then uh march 1st so season three of mandalorian so this is a full-on star wars season like the from here on until like may and honestly until the end of the year Raven will not yeah. stop here. I mean, we'll we're going to get Eiffel Towered by Pedro Pascal. And I mean this the respectfully, Daddy. Also, I, the, the Last of Us is also on right now on HBO. Yeah. So Pedro Pascal, on. are you young and helpless and cute? He will take you from one destination to the other. Incredible. May 4th, uh, we get two shows, two new shows. So we get Visions Volume 2. Which is, so Raven, this is going to be actually, now they're expanding outside of Japan. So they're getting different anime studios. So we're getting Cartoon Saloon from Ireland, uh, 88 Pictures from India. We're getting a a studio from Spain, I believe. And they're they're expanding beyond and like bringing different voices and 
giving other creators a chance to tell oh, stories in Star Wars. Different animation styles. That's very Absolutely. cool. Absolutely. And then we get Young Jedi Adventures, a new show on May 4th, animated as well. Then we get, can't wait for this. Some point in 2023, later this year, we're getting Ahsoka Season 1, y'all, which is going to serve as a, of course, the Ahsoka arc, also a continuation of Star Wars Rebels, because we'll see the Rebels crew, Jedi Ezra Bridger, we'll see Hera Syndulla, all of these characters, beloved characters, really uh, come back into Ahsoka. Then we get another show, Skeleton Crew, which we don't have much information about, but Jude Law is in it. It's a live action show and Jude Law is in it, baby. He has one more kid on the way, so whatever he can to do to get it. Needs the franchise money. Now the Fantastic Beast is dead. (laughs) Then we get Acolyte 2024, which is led by Amandla Stenberg, who's just one of my favorite young actresses. And it's going to be, it's created by Leslie Headland. Cannot wait for this one. And this is actually focused on a dark side user, a force user on the dark side, a female that is at at an unknown time in the galaxy. So it's not going to be the time that we know during like the Skywalker saga or anything. So I would love to see a, a gray dark character and a female led Star Wars show about a Star Wars. Please make dinosaurs canonical. I would love to see (laughs) Jedi in dinosaur land. That would be amazing. And Amanda Stenberg also has a franchise expertise. She's from The Hunger Games. So, and she was excellent in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Please oh my go God. I was just going to say, stole the show. Yeah. It's an excellent, excellent movie. Guys, don't worry. Pete Davidson is not in it for long. I'm excited to see this, this show with Amanda Stenberg, too. Yeah. Dave Filoni is executive producer on most of these. And that's how it's done, baby. Yes, my master. Welcome to Cross Dysfunctional. This is where today we'll be reflecting on the transition of Star Wars into streaming. Is it a boon? Is it a good thing? Or is it a curse? Let's discuss. So in May 2022, there was a Vanity Fair cover, the Rebellion, and it said the Rebellion will be televised. And it's by Anthony Bresnikan, and it features the Mandalorian himself, Pedro Pascal. We have Rosario Dawson. We have Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, Ewan McGregor, Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka, of course. And then we have Diego Luna as Cassian Andor. And all of these are in character in their outfits and kind of embracing all, all fans of this story. There's so many different types of characters into the story and this cover was it was just sort of a look into what the new streaming slate of Star Wars is, what is the future of the new Star Wars. And it, it is when they first reveal Hayden Christensen is also back in, in Star Wars. 
well, it was announced before, but this is the first look into him wearing a cape and him with a lightsaber in, in this in the article. And then you also see the executive producers of Mandalorian and uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Deborah Chow. You see Kathy Kennedy in her blue power suit. So it's it's a very interesting look and interview. With that, I have been reflecting on why streaming is a pro for Star Wars. So I would say it's a pro, number one, because Star Wars was never just movies. And I know people like to believe that, but and sort of like complain and use it as like, that was it, that was it, Star Wars was movies, but it was so much more than that for so many people. Yeah, those, those, those people are denying the existence of the Star Wars holiday special, babes. (laughs) We remember. Yeah, there's, there's video games that are highly respected. There's so many people I know that don't care about the TV animated universe of Star Wars, but they're so into the lore of the video games. We have books, we have comics, so many jump to mind, but I'm just going to highlight some of the ones that I ha- I own and I have read. Um, Master and Apprentice by Claudia Gray, it's sort of like Qui-Gon story with Obi-Wan Kenobi, Queen Shadow by E.K. Johnston. It really looks at Padme as her own woman and not whatever George Lucas created with Natalie Portman. And we get the Star Wars Thrawn, which is one of my favorite characters in in the universe by Timothy Zahn, a key character from Legends that's now been brought into canon. So Legends is what was... true. What, what was canon in Star Wars before Disney bought it? Um bought bought Lucasfilm and now that some of the things have been decanonized and that's referred to as legends we have Brotherhood by Mike Chen we have Ahsoka by Dave Filoni and there's so many comics so Jason Aaron who's also a big name across the Marvel comics he has the Skywalker Strike series uh, that's very beloved we have Karen Gillan's Vader comics, uh, volume one and two, and maybe more. And then Dr. Afra comics as well. That's another character that fans are hoping will enter canon because Dr. Afra, an ally, gray sort of character, an archaeologist, by the way, space archaeologist, is, is very beloved by fans. And then Rise of Kylo Ren comics by Charles Sewell also kind of flesh out the character which the sequel trilogy failed to do. And we have video games, Jedi Fallen Order, with Cal Kestis as a as a Jedi who escaped Order 66 and his uh, cute little droid BD-1. We have Knights of the Old Republic, Height of Jedi Powers in the Old Republic, way, way, way before, you know, all of the characters that we know. So this was a lot more than just movies. So when it's entering streaming, it's almost like it's natural that it find this this kind of story medium and this kind of platform to tell more types of different stories. So now with that, accessibility is number two. I would say streaming has really been a pro because the accessibility to wider audiences, different genres and different, providing different entry points for people, as we mentioned earlier with Visions, with Andor. Honestly, like I've, I've been thinking like it's so much easier to tell serialized stories that are profound and that you connect with more on streaming versus movies mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah, you get breathing you room, get, right? You get breathing room if done right, of course. Like as you were saying, Raven, earlier, some of the things could have been movies. 
Yeah, so like maybe maybe you like Andor because of Tony Gilroy's crime thr- thriller tor- sort of style, and then because you liked Andor, you and you love what Cassian Andor was representing with the Rebellion. Maybe you start to watch Star Wars Rebels because of the Rebellion cat and mouse strategy game across the galaxy vibes, and and you're in, you're hooked. You find a different entry point. Number three, I would say why streaming is a pro is diversity. So John Favreau has specifically said he wants to make this medium be more for and by just white men. <laughs> so he wants to tell <laughs> stories uh, that are much more diverse. And that's he's been very open about that. He's been yeah. bringing in so many different types of people behind the scenes to be executive producers with him and different types of directors. Yeah, this is quite so a feat. A band of rebels, hope wins, you know, against oppression and fascism. So you can tell that story with diverse people, not just, you know, diversity within the human race, but outside of it. I want to see weird aliens. Give me that tentacle shit. Yes. And I remember, you know, we talked about this in the last episode when we covered rom-coms on streaming how the medium lends itself to more experimentation and more chances and more risks and more diverse voices because the stakes are lower. So people are more willing to take risks. And I remember when Rogue One came out, it was such a big thing. And Diego Luna had had said like, it's very powerful for him as a fan of Star Wars to see someone lead the story in the character of Andor with an accent who's not who's hispanic i mean diego i love you but i love you but carrie fisher's accent changed from movie one to movie two she was clearly trying to be more british in a new hope and gave that up and was just a sassy new york broad in the empire strikes back so sorry diego you're not the first person with accent diversity Yes. Oh my God. So much diversity from a New York accent to a British accent. Love. But you you know, of course, like it's very, like, I just remember those powerful interviews and now I'm like, you are Andor and it makes total sense. The directing team that Jon Favreau has brought in, uh, so I want to highlight some of the names. So some of most of these are actually what came out in season three, who will be directing episodes of season three. So Bryce Dallas Howard has been very involved in all of the Mandalorian series in Book of Boba Fett as well. And she's excelled as a director. I'm such a big fan. She's like told this story with such love and care and precision that that she's so respected by fans. And then Rick Famuyiwa, who was a small director doing very different things before he came on to the Star Wars universe, and he's told so many amazing stories within the within the Star Wars universe. And then we're getting three amazing new directors in in season three. We're getting Rachel Morrison, who was a DP on Black Panther. So she's going to be directing some episodes of The Mandalorian. Peter Ramsey from Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. And then we're getting Lee Isaac Chung from Minari. Jon Favreau is very, very dedicated to bringing all these different voices to tell the story into this universe that is for everyone, you know? Into the Spider-Verse is such a great movie, like such a great visual spectacle. I hope he gets to keep that. And they got the money for it. You know, they can't cheap out on him, so. 
I have very much noticed, and I think that's the thing. Like, I all the episodes are very different of The Mandalorian. You get to see the director's strengths and different styles. And so I hope that continues mo- moving forward across all stories that have different directors. And Rick Famuyiwa, I wanted to say also... Uh, has been added to the executive producer team. So he is now an executive producer based on his work on the past two seasons. And I wanted to call out Deborah Chow, who did a lot of episodes of Mandalorian season one, maybe two, I'm not sure of the two, but she was she was the director for Obi-Wan Kenobi. So there there is a lot of acknowledgement of people's work across this uh, this team of Lucasfilm and John Favreau as, as their fearless leader and Dave Filoni as their champion is, is a good thing to have. And then why streaming is, is a, a, a boon for star Wars. Another reason cost. It's just cheaper, plain and simple to make stories on streaming and make them good, good stories on streaming. So for comparison, Mando season one cost around 120 million to make and or cost around 15 to 12, 20 million per episode. And they actually went outside <laughs> into the world in Scotland and they had 12 episodes. Clone Wars cost, <laughs> I see Raven laughing. <laughs> Clone Wars cost around 2 million per episode for season one and they had 12 episodes. All of these in comparison with The Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, which cost more than 300 million each, I believe. So... It's just cheaper to make those. And sometimes you just have to wait for the sun to rise and you'll get pretty colors in the sky instead of doing you it. You mean in the, the twin volume. suns to rise, Raven? I think that's only in Tatooine, right? Do all planets in Star Wars have twin suns? Just Tatooine. Just our main planet that we can never leave. Okay, let's leave Tatooine. I mean, Luke Skywalker fucking hated Tatooine and we're still there. It's like. He didn't want to return to Tatooine so much that he he put our beloved baby on like an X-wing with R2D2 and he was like you go I'm not going to that godforsaken planet like but, I don't blame yeah. him. Yo fuck Tatooine. Fuck you Luke. We're off this is Tatooine. My, this is my take. <laughs> I mean okay, then- I get it. He wasn't raised to be a dad, I guess. <laughs> so true. True. Awful. That baby was alone. Look, isn't he like 60 years old? Yeah, he's by 60, now he's 60. Right? Listen, he's a baby. Uh, I, I've, I've stepped into something. I'm backing, respectfully backing away. <laughs> he's just a growing little baby. Okay, so, and then the last thing I would say is um, why streaming is beneficial for Star Wars is the data is much richer that you get from from this platform more real time more accurate and easier than ever really the access and the profundity of this data oh, yeah so if metrics baby <laughs> metrics give me that metrics yeah. as palpy said you know while building his roadmap not from a jedi will you get mm. bar graphs on your acquisition funnel anakin Listeners can't see this, but Raven is doing the evil head turn. So not it's great from not from a Jedi. I mean, this is true though that they can go in and analyze like micro behaviors around what users are currently seeing along with their Star Wars content. So, for example, if you are 
continuously watching Star Wars and 10 Things I Hate About You and they put Julia Stiles in Star Wars. I'm not saying you should do that, but please do that. I would love to see Julia Stiles in Star Wars. Please do that. That could completely happen from a metrics perspective because it's like, oh, what else are users doing while they're watching this? What kind of content did they consume? What have they consistently rated the same way that they have rated our Star Wars content? It's uh, it's a very rich. I agree with it's you. Powerful. It's a lot of, lot of spice to be mined over there. So streaming actually also changes a lot about the way Star Wars is consumed. And I think the biggest one, the most obvious one I can think of is that the people who went to see Star Wars in theaters in 1979 aren't the ones watching the content anymore. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I'm just saying it's it's a change, you know, it's like unprecedented to see a franchise with a continuous arc of characters and stories last this long i truly can't think of anything that i can even compare this to historically it would be like being able to speak to the people who read dracula when it was first published and making them watch the lost boys or twilight or interview with the vampire you have to leave what was previously established. And maybe a lot of people don't like that because it can feel like they have to do all this homework to catch up, you know, to where things are right now. They remember Star Wars, not necessarily from having consumed it before, but they just know, you know, oh, there's Luke Skywalker and there's Han Solo and there's Princess Leia. And that status quo has not been changed for so long and this can feel like a big shift so a lot of people feel like you can't just jump back into star wars which i think they're trying to correct with the way you describe season two of visions to me and how much i enjoyed season one it was not reliant on coming in with all that knowledge so you can do that but it may present itself to consumers as something that is very difficult to just jump into. So I think that's yeah. something that Disney has to be cognizant of is that you can't bring back everybody that loved it before. But the obvious problem with Disney Plus is that if you don't have it in, you know, in your country or if you're uh, not willing to pay like a monthly subscription fee in that model, you're losing out on all this content. You ha don't have any place else to go. Disney is very closely guarding its accessibility when it comes to things on the Disney Plus. These are people, of course, who invented the Disney vault. So they know a thing or two about keeping things very close to their chest when it comes to the channels through which you can get it. So Without I don't know what strings Tony Gilroy holds, but I think over the holidays, Andor was streaming on like actual TV FX channel. It may be that perception, as we talked about in our previous episode discussing Hulu and the advantages that it poses to the Disney Corporation. It's an easy place to divert, you know, content that is more adult and away from the quote unquote Disney brand. I think... Yeah, it's the other Disney problem is that they don't know when to pump the brakes. 
they will churn things out to the point where you can see like the light leaving Diego Luna's eyes. Not because he doesn't love the character anymore, but because he's in the makeup chair at 3.30 in the morning and he hasn't seen his family in six months. And I guess the only difference between that and Guantanamo Bay is that he has to do a press tour afterwards promoting (laughs) what he did on the show. He's just exhausted. He's tired. I think you and I, Kira, we talked about the insane schedule that we saw for Jenna Ortega in Wednesday. Oh my goodness. It's it's that kind of television production that you know you have to capitalize on a very specific moment in the market and then you're churning things out to the detriment of the quality because everybody involved in it becomes exhausted and there is nothing in this world that is better served by creatives or anybody working while they're exhausted and tired and unmotivated and Disney seems to run into that problem so much because they've they they're so afraid of losing any type of attention they want to occupy a space within in the public consciousness at all times I I think we're seeing I think we're Disney especially excels at this, but I think we're seeing some more of this sadly across all streaming channels because they want to be part of the zeitgeist now more and more. The Jenna Ortega schedule, which was alarming, is mm-hmm. totally Netflix led. Like, let the girl sleep, let her eat, let her live her life. Yeah, <laughs> let her have feeling in her fingers that don't dissipate because of constant cello lessons where she's supposed to be yo-yo ma within six months. That's crazy. But the whole point of something like Star Wars is that it's timeless. I mean, it came from, you know, a very uh, sort of ancient storytelling root sort of place. Like we talk about it's uh, origins within a, a lot of stories around, you know, Western movies, which are in turn a copy of samurai movies. None of those are contemporary things. So what's the rush? It's Star Wars. It's You can only hurt its legacy if you are pumping stuff out constantly because that's not the way Star Wars built its initial momentum. So I think that's another thing with streaming is unlike theaters, it doesn't have that that break you know when you're making movies you realize oh it it takes time to make a movie you gotta put things out and you can put out episodes weekly and that buys you some time okay you've built content that lasts you two months but with a movie everyone is like okay it's out we need another one in two more years otherwise we'll lose public consciousness and it's i don't think they're going to go back to theaters because of this they think that they lose Mm. that real estate in a person's brain if they go into theaters and make movies so some of that again like general cultural things are moving towards tv a lot more and i think the theater reliance i think that that might reset itself now like coming out of the pandemic but like the the habits of people have changed so much that they're so everyone is so tied to streaming revenue and like the prestige is almost like now balanced it used to be tv lower than theaters and now it's like now like the lines are blurred tv that whole golden age of television that came in the late 2000s definitely shifted that perspective from a talent point of view but yeah i think for for theaters again it's like 
a different model, right? Because of the physical limitations of how you play movies. Physical if limitations and the distance you yeah. get, actually, the, yeah, the, you, 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 get, you get to wait. You get to miss it. Yes, exactly. You have a, a specific time where people are supposed to watch the movie. If your movie is playing there, another movie can't play there. And those limitations are all removed from streaming, right? Like you have multiple accounts. You can watch the show anytime, anywhere. You can watch one episode of one show and then move on to another. It's not like, oh, I missed the six o'clock showing. I have to go for the nine o'clock showing now, you know, like you can tell me if I'm wrong in this perception of mine, but also because the direction of Star Wars, it's shifting towards the Filoni-verse. A lot of people are like, I haven't seen all these TV shows. I haven't seen Clone Wars and Rebels and Resistance. It That could be a perception that Disney's like, let's not even mess with that. Let's just keep things going in streaming where we can be telling people to do their homework by watching it and, you know, recommending <laughs> more seasons of those other shows while they, when they finish one series or finish an episode or something. So that, yeah, I just, I, I will say, I Go will ahead. say they've done a good job until now. So a lot of, a lot of, again, just anecdotal evidence and my family and friends who have watched, let's say Mandalorian, they get it. They get the story. They have. They understand Ahsoka is an important character. They understand, for example, Dark Saber seems to be a hallowed object within this culture of Mandalorians and this planet. And they haven't watched. Like that's all they need to know. They haven't watched. Like you know, because uh, Star Wars Rebels goes into Dark Saber and Mandalorian culture a lot more. So you don't need to watch that. If you want to, if you really love the story, you could watch it, but you don't need to watch that to continue the story. So I think up until now, they've been good, but I am getting how Book of Boba Fett really tied into Mandalorians, how Ahsoka is going to tie into Mandalorian, of course, as the Mandoverse. I think it's going to get harder and harder to be a standalone property. And yeah, I think I could... I would be interested to see on on how they execute on that. I'd love to yeah. keep as a product creator and a lover of products, I would love to keep them yeah. as disconnected as possible and hopefully they've learned. Like that's what happened to MCU phase 4, you know. The, and this hopefully is a, they've learned in the same family, you know. Yeah, this is an interesting situation that Disney has created for themselves. They're being hoisted by their own petard because they have created a cinematic landscape of where not anything comes in and makes money at the box office, right? You can't have a lot of weird stories coming in to make money at the box office, which is what Star Wars was. My prediction is that this this content that they make for streaming and that the content that they, if they ever make for theatrical release, is going to be vastly different and actually almost disconnected. Well, obviously, they'll I be agree. in the same universe, but the film stories, I think, will just be like an expansion of what visions were, but in a live action context where it's going to start and end with the same characters who don't tie into anything else in their very specific part of the, the Star Wars universe. They interact with only the same people. So it can be completely different and divorced from everything else that's going on in the TV shows. 100%. That would be the correct move. And 
and I think there's again there's so many untapped stories and in this vast like universe why are we not touching all of these properties and all of these stories and actually like getting inspired by them like bring different voices different characters Dave Filoni and John Favreau have to come in and do that heavy lifting because as things were before that time of the when things were being made for the sequel franchise so many creative bridges were burned at Lucasfilm like yeah I mean some deserved some not deserved I you know when Phil Lord and Chris Miller left everyone was like it would have been fun to see a 21 Jump Street kind of thing with Han Solo and then they made Spider-Verse and that was incredible and they were like what a missed opportunity they would have done so well in the Star Wars universe and then there's Colin Trevorrow who got booted off of episode 9 because Kathleen Kennedy (laughs) popped in the book of Henry on her DVD and said what the fuck and called him and said yeah "Yeah." that was well deserved that was well deserved so (laughs) and it took you know for them to come to the low prestige quote-unquote arena of streaming before they had people of color and women behind the camera so again it's it, they they were in a bad shape and they're they're slowly t- starting to get that respect the, back from the rest of the industry yeah. so and yeah. and i know there would are a couple of forces would you say the force is awakening again I've, I mean, it was disturbed for sure, and it it got coarse and irritating and rough and it got everywhere. <laughs> but I think, uh, yeah, things are coming back a little bit. The broken pieces are being uh, put yes, together. Some fences are being mended, and I I think there's like a a list of theatrical releases. Yeah, right? so yeah. there are projects. Speaking of movies, I think there are projects that we are yet to hear where they are in terms of like progress, but there is an untitled Kevin Feige project, y'all. He's very interested in making a Star Wars movie as I understand Sorry, he's it. he's very... directing? He's directing no, I a think movie? Just, I don't think so. I think okay, just like I hope producing. not. But you know, uh, Michael Waldron is attached with that uh, writer of Loki is attached with this project as well. So that gives me hope. And there's also Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, just like the video game we mentioned. There's an untitled Taika Waititi project. Love you, Taika, but bring a different energy than... No, I go back to indie filmmaking on a $5 budget. Like, you're done, you know? Yeah, you're done. We take away your creds, man. Okay, and then there's... um, I don't know how i feel about this but an untitled damon lindelof project so we'll we'll see i apologize for this viewers this was not the case a few days ago the pilot light of hope left kira's eyes as soon as she discovered that he was in charge of um lost and working with jj abrams before on star trek yeah my my soul left my body and (laughs) i'm sorry uh, a titled Sean Levy project is also in the works, uh, which, um, yeah. Oh, Stranger yeah. Things guy now, right? He is. Yeah. The Stranger yeah. Things guy now. He was making family-friendly comedies before, and then he did a hard pivot into prestige television. And I, I would say, Disney, if you're trying to avoid running things into ground, don't get the Stranger Things guy. <laughs> 
wait, am I wrong in thinking that he also did Free Guy? He did do Free because, Guy. Because, uh, he did yeah, my soul just that. left my body again. Again, right? Yeah. But I, I, can you not tell the theme? They want broad audiences for the theatrical releases and the niche ones on streaming. Yeah. Final thoughts. So we've talked about how Star Wars has built a remarkable streaming roadmap and continues to strategize and execute on it with great vigor and thought, all with our CPO, Chief Product Officer, Dave Filoni at the helm. So what's next? Streaming is such a fertile place to experiment, as we've mentioned before and throughout this episode, almost to a level that almost you can do it without fear. You know, so where could the story, the universe go on streaming? There's so many source materials just out there begging to be adapted or just like new stories that have not been written yet and not been told yet. I was thinking, do I want an Ezra Bridger and Grand Admiral Thrawn buddy comedy? Do I want a space creatures documentary featuring Purgles narrated by David Attenborough? Do I want a high school comedy with normal teens in the galaxy living during wartime a la Dairy Girls? Do I want a sports drama focused on the coach who sacrifices everything for pod racing? Friday Night Lights in Space, baby, let's go. (laughs) There's so many stories and so many genres and so many ways they can really explore this galaxy. Yeah, I... I I don't. I know this is gonna immediately resonate with you. I would love to see horror in Star Wars. Um, I remember watching Let's the go, commentary baby. for Rogue One by Red Letter Media, and they said, "Oh, there's never been a horror movie done in Star Wars," and they jokingly proposed one called The Wampa. Uh, with two V's, like the witch, <laughs> like a stark, uh, moody horror uh, film that's shot in like natural light on the ice planet of Hoth. That would be cool. I'm not even going to pretend that that doesn't sound cool on paper. But why has you're that, right. that not been made yet? Like that would be amazing. Just like a witch floating in space. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, the story of the witch is told by another female Padawan in the Order. Maybe set a few hundred years back to whatever, like, the the colonial period of the, you know, the Galactic Empire. Oh, well, it wasn't. It was the, not the Federation of Planets. Oops, that's the wrong franchise. You know, in the colonial time period, like the ancient times and that, you can show things like a little bit old looking and then, you know, she gets accused of witchcraft in the Jedi Order or whatever. Oh, I, someone get on this ASAP. I want Black Phillip type character to be like, wouldst thou like to live deliciously? Yes. yes. Goatmen in Star Wars. Why has this not been done? Bring Anya Taylor's joy back. Bring her back. Oh my, (laughs) Anya in Star Wars? I would die. Oh my God. That would be amazing because I've been thinking about how much, how much mythology, unexplored mythology was actually told at the end of Clone Wars animated series at the, uh, 
all throughout Rebels that we have never explored in in the movies. Like we did, I mean, we we did politics, which whatever, <laughs> Phantom Menace was its own thing. But there's so many ways that you can really pull into the supernatural and the 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 horror aspect in, into this world, and that would be very exciting. There's yeah, yeah, the genre theme. I is love very that. Unexplored. I loved, I would also love to see like Chinatown, but you know, forget it, Jake, Stop. it's Moss Eisley. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, like this, the seedy underbelly side that's kind of exposed yes. when you see the things of like Han Solo's life. Like, that was what I really loved about that movie. And they do have this, right? With the, with the crime syndicates, the, the pikes, the huts with Boba Fett, they explored some of that, uh, him becoming the crime Lord of Tatooine. And there is huge fan demand for Crimson Dawn with Dryden Voss. We saw that in Solo, Maul, Kira. Please, Amelia Clark, come back into my life. Um, you know, Ocean's Eleven or Chinatown in Star Wars would be a lot of fun. It would be light. It would be oh, humorous, like comedic. Yes, like a proper one. You know, like something yeah. with Steven Soderbergh. Bring him in. Who cares? He's really good at making heist movies. He's proved it. And imagine giving him like all of these comedic situations that can happen. Like imagine Han Solo having to go in and like steal uniforms that are clearly too small for him or they were meant to be for another species of alien. So he's like fitting his body in weird and trying to be an Imperial Guard stealing stuff or putting on a fake mustache and saying, hello, I'm Blim Blarney, Imperial Space Cop. And I would have loved to have seen that. That would have been fun. Yeah. In fact, they do this in Rebels. They're always finding stormtrooper outfits that just like completely fit them, just slide on, looking great, and always like getting outfits and helmets and going into places where they don't belong. This is uh, very much in the spirit of Rebels. Yeah. I just, you said Steven Soderbergh, and I was like, do we want Magic Mike in space? Like a fun story. You know that of like you know there's a burlesque show in San Francisco called The Empire Strips Back, right? I think I think you told me about yeah, it. Yeah. So Magic Magic and watch <laughs> Magic Mike in Star Wars sort of does exist, but yeah. Maybe the kids don't want to yeah. see the strippers. I I get that, but yeah. It's okay. It's okay. Bring it to streaming and find your audience and Favreau and Filoni. Yeah. Add it to the roadmap. Right, make them like can-can dancers. That would be cute. <laughs> yeah, the possibilities are endless. And we'll, you know, we are excited in general about what the roadmap says uh, of Star Wars on streaming. And I hope because they're in the same family with Disney that they've learned from MCU's mistakes and they can iterate on them and do them better and actually improve upon some of the things that MCU has learned. So that is, I think where we'll end it. Raven, any thoughts, uh, other thoughts from you or. If people have not watched the cinematic masterpiece, little Italy, please do because it features our dearly beloved Anakin Skywalker based in little Italy. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler, it's not a little Italy, New York. It's 
<laughs> the world famous little Italy of Vancouver. So yeah, yeah. But he's got a great Italian Amazing. accent in it. I'm in agony, Padme. I think all right. Next time I, we might could possibly do an Oscars reaction. So Oscars are March thirteenth. We are, as you know, very invested in the Oscars and and the Andrea Riseborough drama and just just dunking on why it's not on streaming yet. So you you know our thoughts. But we might do a reaction. And other than that, we are mostly taking a couple ish weeks off to prep for season two which is coming soon so look out for that but until then bye full screeners bye everybody stay warm and safe <laughs>